You're listening to Sex, the podcast, episode number 16. With Nate Bagley! With Nate Bagley. Um, Of all the episodes that we have released so far, I'm like genuinely, seriously, truly, no BS. I'm not just fluffing icing onto the cake. (laughs) He's not just being a fluffer for a porn set. (laughs) I'm, I'm like the most excited about this episode of pretty much anyone that we've done so far because it's awesome. Yeah, Nate is a dear friend of ours, and we'll get into the formal bio in a bit, but he's done a lot of work around relationships and interviewing the most happy and in love couples around the U.S., and so to see him diving into the, the sexual component of relationships, the sex piece, which obviously to us is a very crucial one that more conversations need to be had, was really exciting for me, too, yeah. to dive in with him here. And the cool thing is that Nate grew up in the Mormon church, and he's still in the Mormon church and just got married in the Mormon and he just got church. married in the Mormon church in this interview he was about to get married and yeah. as we are speaking to you currently he has gotten married mm-hmm. time travel the thing that's really cool about this interview is that Nate has done so much of his own personal work and personal inquiry into really creating his own relationship to sex and sexuality and he's just he's bringing such a powerful spotlight and a powerful conversation to that community that is you know, it's, a, it's it's its own thing like I didn't grow up in that culture and I don't totally know what it's like and it was just really incredible to hear Nate's just incredibly articulate uh, description of what it's like to grow up in that culture and what it's like to feel so much shame within the culture and also what it has been like to just go through his own healing process and his own self-discovery process. Yeah, so you all will get a behind-the-scenes look at how sex and sexuality is viewed in the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. So just to give Nate a little bit of an official introduction, he is the creator of The Love Umentary, which is a podcast where he traveled around the country and he interviewed uh, like hundreds, literally hundreds of the happiest couples he could find. As well as love experts and people mm-hmm. that do work in that arena. And he is also the founder of a company called Unbox Love, which is a subscription date in a box service. And Bob and I actually had Unbox Love we for did a, few. a while. Yeah, yeah it was really cool. Them. Nate's mission on this planet basically is to help people create amazing love in their lives, and he gives some really incredible insight into how we can do that in this interview as well. So we're super, super excited to present this conversation with you. We hope that you enjoy it so much. We'll see you after the episode is over. Enjoy. All right. We are recording. Nate is making strange faces. (laughs) And it's wonderful to have you here today, Nate. It's great to be here, Bob. (laughs) And Natalie. (laughs) Of course. Bob was just the one speaking, so I'm grateful to be here with both of you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and thank you for wanting to talk about a topic that is uh, challenging to a lot of folks, and we really appreciate you wanting to have this conversation with us. It's my pleasure. It's a newly discovered favorite topic of mine. So uh-huh. Wonderful. Well, shall we dive in? Let us dive. Cool. So to start off, Natalie and I would love to have you um, just kind of give us the overview, like the Cliff Notes version of your relationship with like sex and intimacy and sexuality growing up. Yeah. Happy to do that. Yeah. I was... So I was raised in a Mormon household, very conservative, um, a household where it, 
sex wasn't something that we openly talked about very often. I think it made my parents very uncomfortable, but they didn't necessarily like, they made it clear that we could ask them questions at any time, um, which was really great. But I was always terrified to ask my parents questions and the culture, like just like any conservative culture, the culture of Mormonism oftentimes um, creates a, kind of a barrier of shame around sex and sexuality and sexual feelings. There's um, kind of an undertone of unless it's within the bounds of marriage, sex is bad. And so uh, I think something that a lot of Mormons, including myself grew up with is sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. And then you get married and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, go for it. Um, So I'm still not married. I'm, I'm an unmarried man. And, um, for a huge portion of my life, there was a lot of shame and embarrassment around sexuality. I felt bad if I ever um, got turned on or if I ever turned a girl on, I felt guilty, like extreme shame and guilt, uh, if I ever looked at pornography. Um, and so up until probably just the last couple of years, my relationship with my sexuality has been a very turbulent one. Um, one where like there's this cultural, if if we can talk a little bit about the religious construct of what, what was so, what's so frustrating about this situation. And um, there's this like interesting contradiction where you're raised being taught that the most important in the world is your family and your relationship with like, with your family and, and finding somebody to love for the rest of your life and for the rest of eternity and having children so that you can be a family forever. And part of that experience involves having sex. And so like you're raised to like look, really look forward to that moment when you get married and you can like express love in this way. And then at the exact same time, you're being taught that like, if you have sex outside the bonds of marriage, you um, are dirty or, that you are uh, unclean, that you are no longer virtuous, that you're undesirable. And that's the doctrine of the church, which is the first part, which is like the sex is beautiful and wonderful and this great theme that a couple can share, um, comes in direct contrast with the culture of the church. And the, the, like the, it's not necessarily what the church preaches, but it's what the, pre- the people have grasped onto, is this negative ideology, this fear of the sexuality and so you're it's really strange it was really strange for me to grow up living in this really interesting dichotomy this interesting contrast of worlds um, within my own culture of sex is great and wonderful and it's also like really dirty and don't touch it and it is scary and we don't talk about it um so that's kind of my that's kind of my experience with sex growing up up until recently when I've really learned that it's something that's okay to talk about. And it's something that's really cool and um, something that can, can only truly uh, benefit a relationship if you're able to talk about it and um, communicate about it and understand that it's okay to experience pleasure and that we're built for pleasure and to talk about what makes you feel good and what you want, make direct requests from I'm totally going off on a tangent now, but you're good. um, But that's kind of the learning that I'm in right now as I'm discovering like what a growth area having developing a healthy sexuality is. Mm -hmm. So um, I went from this, you know, a 13 year old boy who 
was terrified that his mom, his mom would find out he was having wet dreams, you know, to, um, to this 32 year old man who is suddenly really comfortable talking about the fact that I have sexual desires and, you know, talking about the fact that, you know, in the past I've struggled with pornography with my relationship with porn and used it as a way to cope with my, with my shame. And, um, like I can openly talk about those things now when in the past it was something that was really difficult for me to talk about. Uh Well, and even as you were talking, Nate, I was, I think I saw it in a way I haven't ever before, but just how harsh of a turn that has to be for people when you're raised thinking bad, 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 don't do it. Not good. Don't do it. You're an awful person. And then, Oh, you're married. Everything's wonderful now. And you should (laughs) love it. And you should, you know, like what a, mind twist you know to kind of go from one to the other it makes for some really it makes for some rough honeymoons i have several friends who had really really negative honeymoon experiences because um just because of the emotion wrapped up and the expectations wrapped up in like the first night together you know right and um and there's a lot of particularly women i think in in this culture um, experience high amounts of shame when they first start having like uh, deeply intimate, physically intimate relationships with their partner. Yeah. Because, because so much of their identity growing up has been built on virtue and purity and chastity. And suddenly like those things are acceptable and they, in their mind, there's this contradiction of, I want to be excited about it. This is something I've been looking forward to. And also like there's the contradiction of, but this has been bad and my identity is tied to being a virtuous woman. And if I'm having sex now, like what does that say about who I am? And it throws all these things up in the air and it gets really confusing and conflicting. And, you know, that's where you get a lot of women who only have sex out of duty. And because we've never been trained to talk about sex, you know, sometimes it can be a really painful and unpleasant experience for the man or the woman and more, more commonly the woman. And then she develops a negative really. She's like, Oh man, I waited all this time to have sex and it wasn't, it's not even that great. And then the couple just stops having sex period. And then you've got these, you know, all these people who believe deeply in their value system that that type of a relationship is important, but the way that they live is, completely contrary to that because they haven't been given the tools to talk about and express what they want and how they feel. And it's, it's like, it's really heartbreaking to hear about things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I have two questions and I'll just ask one at a time. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> I, I'm, we want machines. <laughs> if, I, if you guys catch me rambling or going off topic, feel free to rein me in. We'll rein you in like a little reindeer. You mean rambling because it's your new favorite topic? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I start going and then just like I lose track of where I was trying to end up. So No, you've been great so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm curious for you, what had things shift? What had it shift from a place of shame to um, to now a place where you're realizing that sexuality is healthy and it's something it, that it is something to discuss and that pleasure is a good thing. What shifted there for you? Um, a lot of personal reflection, years and years of soul searching. Um, I got to a place where the guilt and shame I was feeling was pretty unbearable. Um, I was just in this place where I could, I, when I was honest with myself, what was 
what I had going on was not working for me. The way I was living my life, like the amount of crushing, I just felt crushing guilt all the time. I felt like a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And if I was honest with myself, I know I'm not a horrible person. I'm a really pretty genuinely good person, but I felt like I was simultaneously like a good person and living a lie where if people could get a peek into what I did secretly, you know, or what my fa- my fantasies were, or what my desires were, or, you know, if, if people could see who I really was, this like that they, they would think I was this horrible person and I felt the shame because of it. And so I got to this place where I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not a bad person and I want to know where these thoughts are and this shame is coming from mm. and I need to figure this out or cause I, I can't live the rest of my life being this contrarian, being this person who like is both good and bad at the same time. And like, and, and sees, you know, will do anything for his friends and is constantly helping people and trying to be do good, be a force for good in the world. And at the same time feeling like a, like dirty and um, unworthy and, and stained, marred in some way. Um, And yeah, so I kind of got to that place where I I was like, enough is enough. I need to find some solutions. And I started um, doing some reading. I started talking to people who knew more than I did. I started giving myself a break. Like I had to make a conscious choice of, I, I need to, um, have some show some mercy and compassion for myself mm-hmm. as I show it to others uh-huh. and to be able to forgive myself as I forgive others. Mm-hmm. And I also, um, something that has really helped me is trying to understand being ra- raised in a very religious household and in a very religious community. I've been given kind of a value system to live and those values or commandments as they're called often in, in like a Christian home is they're, they're based, those commandments are often seen as restrictive. They're often, often seen as like thou shalt nots. And, um, I had to, the problem with thou shalt nots is if you break the rule, you're bad. And, um, I, what really has helped me is looking at the commandments that I've been given or the value system I've been given and then asking the question, why, what is the purpose of this? Why, why, why have my leaders or my parents or my, or the people that I look up to and admire my peer group, why have we chosen this value system? Why is this something that, and I had to kind of like elevate my understanding of my own value system. Uh And um, when I started to really understand why I was living those things and it wasn't just to like, it's not just to make it to heaven, but there's something actually much deeper beyond that. Like, then when I understood the context of everything, it's helped me to kind of um, show a little bit more compassion for myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I'm curious that what, what I hear, what I, what I think that I'm hearing is that it helped you find, um, how would I say it? It's like it helped you find your actual, instead of just being told, here are the value system, go live by them you got to find your own relationship to them and actually have living by those values be genuine to you. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways. And, and, and if you've ever heard the term spirit of the law versus letter of the law, um, I think that's something that comes largely into play here as well, where like, for example, um, when a Mormon, when, when Mormons become teenagers, they're given a kind of a guidebook. It's called the for strength of youth pamphlet. 
And it's this pamphlet that has all these like, it's a, it's a really great guideline template for a way to live your, uh, live your life. And it talks, talks to you about the media that you should consume and how it affects you and ways that you can, that you should dress to like reflect who you are on the inside. And it talks about language that you use. And there's also like a code of conduct in there for sexuality. And one of the things that it said in the book when I was younger, and it's been revised over the years. And so it may not say this word for word now, but when I was, when I was a teenager, the phrase that it said was basically, you should never do anything that would arouse sexual feelings in yourself or in others. And for like a 13 year old kid who is just barely learning about his capacity for like pleasure and sexual desire, I get why that would be in that booklet. I totally get it. I like, they want you to be cautious and careful. And maybe that's not something that you're ready for to explore yet in a safe way. Maybe um, like it's kind of like setting an overall bar of like, don't play with fire. And it may not be the most healthy way to express it, but for a 13 year old kid, I understand the context of that now. But the thing is, is I was taking that teaching that I got when I was 13 and applying it to a 27, 28, 29 year old person. And without evolving the, the context of like, Hey, I'm an adult and I maybe have a little bit more control over my hormones and I'm more capable of expressing what I'm experiencing and what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. And, um, and maybe the rules that I was living by were put in place as kind of like a, uh, a protection at a certain stage in my life. And maybe you can take the training wheels off after a little bit, a little while and let yourself govern yourself after you've learned these. So, so there's like a part of some people live 100% letter of the law and they're like, Oh, I should never, I should never like touch myself or I should never, if I kiss and I start getting turned on, we should stop. And that's okay if that's the way that they feel. But for me, what I've had to learn is like, what is the spirit of the law? What is, what is this trying to teach me? And maybe the guidance early on was when I received that kind of guideline was we don't want 13 year olds getting each other pregnant. You know, that totally makes sense. But when you're 32 years old and you have that guideline, maybe if you take that into the, con into the context that it was originally intended, it's a lot easier to kind of give yourself a break and be like, okay, I can take a deep breath and realize that like, I'm not a perfect human being. And I also am the master of my own body. And I am also, um, if we're going to be like, if I'm really honest, like I'm in charge of the relationship that I have with God. And if I can feel, if me and God can be on the same page and feel good about something, then I'm not too worried about it. But before that relate, that commandment relationship was all based on like leaders and peers. And what if they find out, what if somebody sees something and, um, and that's not what a religion is really supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about you and God. And that was once again, a really, no, there's a lot of really awesome stuff in there. Yeah. Well, and I'm also hearing that place of kind of, taking back the relationship, like taking ownership of it, kind of being at choice with it and mm -hmm. cultivating your own relationship with God and your own relationship with your sexuality. And, and obviously within the context of um, values and wanting to, to uphold those values and, and to honor the relationship, all relationships yeah. with yourself, with God, with other, with sex. Um, but kind of, yeah, bringing it to you as an adult now <laughs> yeah. and, and having your own relationship there. Yeah. It's a whole new conversation for me now. Yeah. yeah. And, and as an adult who's able to, to like, 
when tell me if this is true like what i hear and what you're saying is that yes i i can get turned on and i can experience arousal and i can be with that energy and with that sensation and still not still not break the the like you know, still not cross the lines of the values that are yeah exactly yeah and understanding why those lines are there gives gives the lines a little bit of flexibility yeah like it's like for me the when i the more i think about like so the the mormon if we want i'm just going to dive into mormon do it yeah yeah yes so the the kind of the code of conduct for mormons and sexuality is called the law of chastity and the 30,000 foot view of the law of chastity is that before marriage you're not supposed to have sex or really having sex is probably I should say before marriage, you're not really supposed to do anything that even resembles sex. So like avoiding even second base. So like once you get to, um, how frank can I be? I'm probably way more frank than I'm being. Huh? Way more. Can, I was like, okay. you, you need to explain to me. What so I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this, I'm just going to put this in layman's terms. And if my Mormon friends hear me, they might be really uncomfortable with what I'm saying, but that's okay. Um, it, it will push them outside their boundaries a little bit, but basically, um, the rules, the, the, the guideline of the law of chastity is like, you keep your hands to yourself. Like, guys don't touch boobs like you don't get into each other's pants you don't take your clothes off together uh you don't have oral sex or anal sex or um just traditional intercourse like all that stuff is off the table until you're married so kissing okay everything else not okay it's okay and only on the mouth and culturally and i'm still not 100 percent clear doctrinally how this is but culturally masturbation is also frowned on and pornography consumption of i know in growing up at orthodox christian masturbation I, I i had the pamphlet of like you're going yeah. to hell if you masturbate so yeah. i'm sure so, yeah. so you're, you're pretty much limited when it comes to expressing yourself in an intimate way in a physical way to your partner to making out mm-hmm. um you know you get in a dangerous zone if you're dry humping so but but once the once that once you get married it's kind of like God closes his eyes and you can do what you want. Like it's, that's, that's kind of Nate's explanation of what the law of chastity is. Sure. And what we really believe if you really want to get down to brass tacks is before, before marriage, you shouldn't have sex and then you're obeying the law of chastity. And then after marriage, you should be having sex to obey the law of chastity. It's like, you should be doing this regularly. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So, um, I don't know where I was going that, but with that in mind, that kind of gives you a little bit of background into like a Mormon. What was the original question you asked, Bob? Because I was trying to set up context before I answered. Do you remember? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I just wanted to give context to like what Mormon, like the culture of sex in Mormon. No, I was, I was, I was talking about, um, so I hear you saying that there are some, there are some pretty distinct, clear, yeah, uh, like physical boundaries, but then like emotional and like like your your inner boundaries in terms of like being turned on or not being turned on. That what I'm hearing is that that's not. It's just like don't do these physical things, but if but if I can feel however I want to feel, as long as I'm not crossing these lines. 
Yeah, and then but but also accompanying those th- those actions are desires, mm-hmm. and there I think that there's a, a, a strong tendency to associate negativity with the desires that accompany the, the actions, and so like even just laying in bed or like waking up in the morning with like a with an erection, uh-huh. and just like laying in there going, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, what do I, what do I do? You know, like it's, it's, it's in some ways it's really great because you're exercising dominion over your body and like proving to yourself that you can master carnal desire and stuff like that. But on the other hand, there's a part of me that's like, man, I'm a human being and God made me this way. And that's part of the beauty of what the religion brings to the table is that God made us this way. Like God made us sexual beings. He made sex pleasurable for a reason. Like the only I heard a, a Mormon sex therapist the other day say something really awesome. She's like, there, he, she said, there's no practical use for the clitoris. There's no practical use other than to create pleasure in, the, in a woman. And God, like if we believe that he created us in his image, like he gave the woman a clitoris for a reason, he wants us to experience joy and pleasure. And like that is a, like a perfect, perfect proof that God wants you to experience that in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, like, there's this beauty in, in the religion of, like, we've been created in God's religion. He wants us to experience joy and happiness and pleasure. And then there's this underlying, like, shame of if you don't do it in a certain way, then, ooh, you know, there's a lot of judgment that comes with it. Got it. <laughs> Which they're trying to change culturally. But. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious, Nate, if you were given the baton and said, Nate, you can rewrite this book that the lads, young lads get, you know, when they are reaching puberty, mm-hmm. what would you say about sex and sexuality? Uh, man, that's a great question. First of all, I wouldn't start by rewriting that book. Okay. I would start by creating education for parents yeah. on how to talk to their kids about this kind of stuff. Okay. And um, that would be my first step. My, if I, if I had to address the youth of the church or of, of, yeah, of my church, um, I would start by telling them like why sex is awesome and why, why it would make sense to not have sex, to choose personally not to have sex until marriage, if that's what you want. Um, I would... I was actually thinking about something along these lines today. Um, like I, what I want to tell my kids growing up. Yeah. Beautiful. And I want my, I want my kids to be able to come to me and talk to me about anything and feel comfortable about it. I don't want there to be like awkwardness around the word penis or, or I don't want there to be tension in the room if we say the word orgasm and I don't want people to like go hide and like avoid eye contact. If I say the word pornography, like I want people, I want my household to to be one that is comfortable talking about these things in a way that it's natural. Like, just like you go poop, sometimes like you can have an orgasm. I mean, not just, you know what I mean, but it's like a natural, it's a natural function. Of, it's, like, <laughs> it's a natural function of the last things that happen. Yeah, things that happen. yeah. And one thing I really want my kids to know is like, you can choose to have sex whenever you want, mm. but don't have sex unless you can talk about it and do it in a smart and safe way. Like 
don't have risky sex. And when you're, when you're going to have sex, please take a few minutes and think about why am I doing this? Am I doing this because it's heat of the moment? Am I doing this because I'm feeling manipulated by the partner that I'm with? Am I doing this because I feel obligated? Am I doing this because I'm curious? Um, is this something that I really want to experience right now? Or is this something I want to experience later in a different context? And whatever, I will respect the choice as long as there's thought put into it. I never want my kids to have sex with anybody that they can't talk about having sex with first. Mm-hmm. Like sex shouldn't be something that just happens by accident. It should be something that you can communicate about beforehand before actually like, and, and that's an, it, it, yeah. So I would, I would love for my kids to be trained that way to feel like they have a choice and power over their sexuality and that they're choosing to live in, within a certain value system because they understand the context of it and the love behind it and the reason for the choice. And if they choose to make something differently, that it's not the end of the world. It's and that like, it's okay. And then there's lots of people who make that choice and it's not going to like ruin your life. Right. Well, again, I'm hearing that the choice piece, you know, cause I was just thinking in those lists of things you were saying for your child to think about, you know, one of the things is peer pressure you know, I don't know if you brought that up, but, you know, are you doing this because everyone else is doing it and you right. think that you should be doing it? Or are you doing this because the church says not to do it? And so you're being rebellious against it, right? Rebellious. So either way, there's like this pressure and you're not taking, again, ownership and, and being at choice with, oh, this is because I want to and I'm choosing to do this given yeah. all of these circumstances and, and possible situations that might happen. And the meta conversation that I hear underneath almost all of what you're saying that you've touched on a little bit is, is simply it's, um, is open communication and, and like not absence of shame. Mm -hmm. Like having, having boundaries and rules and value systems doesn't necessitate carrying shame around. Right. Right. And I think Rules is, it's hard. This is a hard, it's a hard topic. People have such an aversion to rules or commandments and um, yeah, it's really hard. But at the same time, I'm a believer that the reason that we have them is so we like, it's a law of physics that every action has an, has a reaction. Every action creates a reaction. And I think a lot of times the rules that we're given in life or in the context of religion are put there to protect us from notoriously bad outcomes or negative um, reactions, if that makes negative consequences. And, um, and when we obey those commandments or those rules, oftentimes we're rewarded with like, whether it's the avoidance of negative consequences or sometimes it's like you get what we would call a blessing or something positive happens in your life. There's a positive a positive reaction. And so it's really easy to look at, this is another reframe that I've had to do with religion. It's really easy to look at religion, religion as um, constrictive, restrictive as something that is like oppressive. And I think that that can be the case for a lot of people if they, if they choose to live and view those commandments or rules that way. But there's also, a context where you can look at them and see that they're liberating 
And um, you look at like Mormons don't drink alcohol and that's great. And some people think, Oh, you're missing out on all the fun. You're never going to be the life of the party. And then I look at like the money that I've saved. (laughs) I look at the fun I'm still able to have sober. I look at the fact that I never have to worry about being an alcohol addict. There's that's had, it's still sometimes difficult for me to see things that way, especially when there's a part of me that really wants to go out and experience some of these things that may not be in alignment with my values. There's a, there's like, I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that wants to like smoke weed for the first time or go have a drink of alcohol for the first time or go be promiscuous and like um, have casual sex and have that totally be okay as long and there's the part of me that really wants to experience that stuff. And then there's another part of me that has to kind of rein that part in and be like, okay, look at the context here and are the pros going to outweigh the cons and be really contemplative, contemplative about it, thoughtful about it. So, Well, what I'm getting is that your willingness to engage both in, in, in this internal dialogue as well as this external dialogue is that it actually makes you more trustworthy to the values. Yeah. And the trick is having that dialogue from a place of love and compassion and not fear. Yeah. Because it's easy to have the conversation of I'm going to get in trouble, so I shouldn't do this stuff. And that's not, that's not, I mean, from my upbringing, we do this because we love Christ, you know, Jesus Christ wants us to like come back and live with him in heaven one day, if we're going to put it really simply. And he gave us these rules because he loves us and he gives us us these commands because he wants to bless us. And if we're like living them through the lens of shame and obeying them only from the lens of, through the experience of fear, like that's totally completely out of context from what was originally intended. Yeah. And if you're a 13 year old kid who's struggling with something, you can, you know, that, and, and your parents say are a safe space to go talk to without judgment and blame, then you can actually go work, your stuff out instead of trying to manage it yourself inside of your own little 13 year old mind that is super confused and full of hormones. And yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well said. Mm -hmm. So then I'm curious your thoughts around that transition of getting married and now being in this space of, all right, everything's a go, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. And how that part can be managed. Um, and that's something I'm managing right now because I'm engaged and I'm going to be married in the next few months and, um, really, really, really excited about that. (laughs) And I like not to dive into too much detail. Um, but I, I will, I'll talk about my specific personal experience. And one thing that's really important for me is that my fiance and future wife has a really positive experience um, tr- with that transition period mm. that she feels safe, that she feels comfortable, that she feels taken care of, that she doesn't feel pressure, um, to perform in any specific way. And, um, one of the things that I've done to kind of help with that transition is when we first started talking about getting married and honeymooning and stuff like that is I took sex off the table. Like I took intercourse off the table. Mm. I think sex is a much broader term than just putting your penis in somewhere or whatever you know um having something into your vagina yeah exactly so what i basically told her is like hey you know i don't have the expectation that on our honeymoon we're going to have intercourse you know i i realized that that it's 
this could be a really interesting and nuanced and emotional and scary and vulnerable transition. And what I want is for you to feel safe. And so if that means like our first night together, we just make out, that's great. If that means, you know, it goes beyond that, maybe like that's up to us to decide at what pace that we go. But taking that off the table takes pressure off of her to have to perform a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it allows us the chance to take things slow and make sure that we feel safe and comfortable and congratulate because like to go, I feel like going from no sex your entire life to just like having sex overnight. It's like, it's like going from not having a driver's license to like flying to the moon. Mm -hmm. It's traumatizing. Putting somebody in a rocket being like, okay, you're like, skip the driver's lessons, driving lessons. Like you're an astronaut now. And, um, yeah, I don't think it's very fair. And I think it's, it's, I don't, but the problem is, is that we're taught to anticipate that, that transition so much that like, sometimes all people can think about it in this culture is like, I'm excited to have sex. I'm excited to have sex without any context for like what sex represents, what sex really is without really knowing how the anatomy of arousal, which is something that's really fascinating. Most people don't understand like the, their body parts and how they respond to other people's bodies and stimulus. And you know, there's all these conversations that, that don't ever, that don't, that need to be ha had that too often aren't. Um, to create a positive experience, you know, like right. I think a lot of women feel the pressure to just like show up and have porn star sex on their very first night. And I think a lot of guys expect it. And um, I think it's really unrealistic and really unfair for both parties mm -hmm. to go into that without having an honest conversation about, you know, what sex means to them and what they want to experience and how they want to experience it and how they want to transition from, nothing to everything you know yeah well and again i hear that part around education and so earlier when you were talking about educating the parents around how to have the conversation with their with their kids like in this moment i'm hearing and the importance of education before you do even start to have sex or intercourse or whatever that is to to know more to learn more to have information so you're not just going in super blind yeah, and with all these crazy expectations, and then just setting yourself up for horrible failure. Yeah, I mean, or, I know. Mediocrity. I, yeah, or even just mediocrity. True. I, I, I mean, I hear, I hear stories. I have a lot of friends who are sex therapists, and I hear stories of women who have gone decades in their marriage without ever experiencing an orgasm. And I'm like, how sad for her, and how sad, sad for him. Like no man wants to be known as the man who has never given his wife an orgasm in two decades. And no woman wants to be the woman who's married and never gets to experience that, you know, and it happens because there's so much fear around communicating with each other around uh, about this topic, you know, and, and like fear around giving yourself permission to experience this thing that was, offered to us i mean in this con in the context of what we're talking about it was offered to us by god like god gave you this opportunity to have this amazing spiritual emotional physical connection with a person and because we're scared to talk about it we don't ever get to really experience it in its fullness thank you for bringing that up because i think that's one angle or purview that we don't talk about it's the piece of 
no, God did create this. It is part of us. It is an avenue for pleasure. I mean, even for me in the last like year or two, thinking about soul expanding sex and how communion with your partner sexually is an avenue to have an even deeper sense of communion with, with God and spirit. Like what? That was not even anywhere in my consciousness, like for most of my life. Like, I was, I was actually reading in there's this book called the church handbook of instruction. And it's kind of like the big book of guidelines of like how to deal with lots of different issues. And one of the things it says about the law of chastity is that when a couple is married, they're supposed to have sex for four reasons, spiritual connection, emotional connection, physical connection, and to have kids. Mm-hmm. And having kids was last on the list. And I think a lot of religious yeah. cultures, it's like number one, you're not supposed to right. have sex and you want to have kids. Right. But the number one reason is a spiritual connection with mm-hmm. your partner. And it's really interesting to me because I'll go to church sometimes and see couples and I th- I'll bet you with a pretty high accuracy, I could pick out the ones who are regularly having sex and the ones who are not because of how the, just how they sit next to each other in, in the benches, in the pews. Oh. Like walking into church and, and realizing, okay, I can tell you guys have a close spiritual, physical, and emotional connection, and you do not. I'll bet the, the couple, the first couple is having sex, and the second couple is not. It's it's fascinating how it just it shows. You can tell the people who enjoy being together and flirting with with each other, and those are the people who I think have active sex lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And thank you for pointing that part out too, of how the flip happens of procreation is the main reason for sex versus yeah. like, there's so many other avenues and, and reasons and, um, and outcomes that sex can bring and provide. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I wish more people understood that. Me too. <laughs> Me too. What's the name of the Mormon sex therapist that you mentioned? Um, the one, the one, one I quoted, her name is Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Um, and she actually wrote her, she has a doctorate degree and wrote her thesis on Mormon women and sexuality. And she has some really interesting material out there. And then another really good friend of mine who has some really great material is Kristen Hodson. And she is the owner of a, a practice here in Salt Lake City called the Healing Group and works specifically with women and couples um, and sexuality and their sex lives and uh, also helps women with, like, uh, what's it called? Postpartum depression, mm. things like that. So Yeah, if they have information, we would love to link to that in the, in the show yeah, notes. Really. Gain access to that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll show, I'll send you the links to their websites. Great, great. Yeah, and and you've done some amazing work around relationships in general with your project, the Love You Mentory. Do you want to say a few words about that? Yeah, um, and it's just always kind of expanding. I'm on a little bit of a hiatus right now, trying to recuperate and recover. But um, for the last couple of years, I've been interviewing couples who are madly in love with each other to figure out what they do differently than, than the average couple that makes their relationship so amazing. And have that's kind of led me to interview a lot of really cool experts and educators and um, 
authors and I've just got a lot of material at loveymentory.com. If you want to check it out, a lot of blog posts and a lot of really cool interviews with couples who will inspire you and yeah. thought leaders who oh, yeah. will train you. So agreed. Yeah. Bob and I can both speak to that. We've <laughs> definitely listened to a number of those interviews and it's definitely been a huge inspiration and raised the bar for mm-hmm. what's possible. Yeah. I feel really lucky to have, been able to sit in the presence of some of these couples they're just mm. such an inspiration mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah is there anything else you want to share as far as like anything you might be up to or just share with the their audience a little bit more about you and what's important to you um and the big thing for me right now is just like teaching people and and really trying to encourage people to that they can have better relationships than the ones that they have now, no matter how good your relationship is, it can always be a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I had a, maybe I'll just toss this to you guys to mull over and maybe we can talk about it some other time. But my friend, Kristen, who I just mentioned, uh, who sex therapist here for healing group. She, uh, she messaged me and she's like, I just got a Fitbit and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And she's like, Want to know the first thing I realized when I got a Fitbit? Have you either of you guys worn a Fitbit? I have, yeah, I have. They're addicting. <laughs> what's what's the first thing? I'm just curious if your experience is the same as hers. But what's the first thing you noticed when you had your Fitbit? Um, that I totally want to hit ten thousand steps every day. Yeah. So her thing, she realized she's like, I thought I was moving a lot more than I really am. Oh, like I wore my Fitbit and then I synced it up with my computer and I was like, I totally thought I was getting more exercise than that. But my Fitbit is tracking and reporting back to me. And I realized that like, I thought I was getting 10,000 steps, but I'm really only getting 5,000 and I need right. to. It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then she's like, so I got this Fitbit and I realized I wasn't exercising as much. And then I realized what if my paradigm is the same for my fitness as it is for my relationship? Mm-hmm. Yes. And she's like, what if I think I'm doing 10,000 steps a day of work in my relationship, but I'm only really doing 500 and I'm really expecting 10,000 steps out of my partner. Mm. And I'm only putting in, you know, a thousand or or 2000. Yeah. So she's like, I want to, I just thought it'd be really interesting. So I think we're going to play around with this a little bit and um, maybe for the listeners reflect a little bit, like what would be, what would it be like if you tracked your relationship fitness? Mm. What would you find out? Are you as in shape? Are you exercising as much as you think you are? Or is it more likely than not what the case will be is that you think you're investing way more than you actually are? Mm-hmm. And how can you step up that game? How can you get in a couple thousand extra steps or a hundred extra steps today to improve that end of the day number of 10,000 steps if that's what you're shooting for, you know? Right. And what I hear there too is instead of this expectation of, I'm just going to get in great shape. There has to be like the intention and uh-huh. thought around it and really and a daily, a, a daily yeah. ritual and there yeah. has to be tracking and there has right. to be some sort of responsibility and ownership. Yes. And, and um, I think if you sat down and said, I want to be a 10,000 step partner today, what would that look like? Mm. What kind of, what kind of investment does that mean? Does that mean you, you're going to be texting and calling more proactively? Does that mean you're going to go buy flowers? Does that mean you're going to cook dinner? Does that mean you're going to give a foot massage? Does that mean you're going to be extra attentive and turn off your phone early in the, in the evening so that you can just be present? You know, does that mean I you're going to schedule sexy time? Yeah. Are you going to schedule sexy times? Are you going to ask your partner on a date? Are you going to, you know, 
turn on a dance track after dinner and, and invite them to slow dance with you and be extra romantic? Are you going to write a love note? Like there's all these things that you can do yeah. on a regular basis that take a small amount of time that contribute to that 10,000 steps, the metaphorical 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. So that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately that I will, uh, you guys might be yeah no it's a cool a really cool analogy i love that yeah. yes and i'm totally on board and i love how the level of passion i could just hear it in your voice like this is so important to you and i'm i'm right there with you i, I want people to have amazing relationships and so much That's more is possible than they realize one of the many reasons why i love you guys is because we share that mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> well nate it's been amazing talking with you thank you so much for just diving in and being real and being honest and being open. Yeah. Yeah, My pleasure. Thanks, Nate. We love you. Love you too. Welcome to the end of the episode. Yay. You made it. Wasn't it amazing? We loved this conversation so much. We're so excited that we got to listen to it again, even while we were editing it. (laughs) So if you like this episode and you want to support sex, the podcast and make sure that this conversation gets out there to more people, If you're on iTunes, you can subscribe as well as go to the review section. The ratings and reviews section. Thank you, Bob. Ratings and review section and rate it five stars, leave a review, and that'll help bump us up in the search listings. And if you are at a place where you would like some support around your relationship to sex and sexuality or with your romantic relationship in general, we work with singles and couples as well as individuals in relationship and help them have the most epic relationship and epic sex life possible. We uncover things, we get deep, we open up what's possible. And at the end of the day, it's way more than you would have thought possible in your relationship. Taking a look into that sounds interesting to you. You can go to sexthepodcast.com and we have a little more information on our about page. And you can also go to natalieandbob.com. Find out more there. We're also super excited about some podcast episodes coming up. So to tell you a little bit, sneak peeks, Bob will mention the one that's on the calendar next for the interview. We just, we just scheduled it and we're going to have a fascinating conversation about Uh, sex in the Jamaican culture. It's totally different than it is in the United States. I couldn't believe when I was talking to him casually, he mentioned the age that he first started having sex and I was like, oh my god, are you serious? And he says yes. And he says that this is actually normal in Jamaica. So we're going to explore this. We're going to go deep. It's going to be a really fascinating conversation. Yeah, and some of the episodes I'm excited about is some new friends of mine who there was an affair in their marriage and how they came back from that and really now have a relationship that's even stronger than it was before. Talking to another woman about sex and disabilities as she has cerebral palsy and then another woman who has created a business combining cannabis and sex. How exciting! (laughs) There's some really cool stuff in the hopper. We would love to have you join us. Again, you can subscribe if you're on iTunes, and you can also subscribe to the newsletter at sexthepodcast.com. We love you. Have a sexy day.